Yo, what's happening, everybody? My name is Anthony Carrenti, and thank you for checking out another episode of the Dynasty Drive. Appreciate all the support, as always. Have a great episode of the show for you today. Was joined by John June. John is one of the, uh, or is the host rather, of the Fantasy Football Diagnostics podcast. He does excellent work. Really, really smart guy. Uh, fellow Jets fan, so I appreciate that. If you're not following John already, make sure to follow him on Twitter at JRFootballNerd. And you can follow his podcast at FF Diagnostics. Uh, he also hosts a New York Jets podcast. If you're a, a Jets fan, you can check that out at liftoff underscore NYJ and does some great work uh, with gridiron ratings. Really, really smart guy. Has some great projections and um, has a really good feel for the statistics side of things as well. So John joined me to break down some guys that I've been targeting in startup drafts uh, and kind of give his input on how he feels about them where he might see them shaking out, and had a pretty good conversation. Ran about a half hour or so. Uh, I think you guys will enjoy it, so we'll get right into that. If you haven't already, or if you're new to listening to this podcast, if you would please consider uh, subscribing if you haven't already, leaving a review, rating five stars. That stuff is always uh, super appreciated. If you're not following me on Twitter, you can follow me at Dynasty Drive, and you can follow the show on Instagram as well, at the Dynasty Drive. So we'll get right into this conversation with John, and we'll catch you guys on the other side. Thanks. All right, joining me on today's episode of the podcast is John June. John is the host of the Fantasy Football Diagnostics podcast and a fellow Jets fan. John, what is happening, my friend? Not much, Anthony. Appreciate you having me on. And like you said, fellow Jets fan here. So not many of us in the fantasy community, but it's always <laughs> good to find uh, to find people like that. But definitely appreciate you having me on today, brother. Absolutely, man. And uh, before we get into we're going to get into a couple guys that I think are interesting to target from a, a dynasty startup perspective based on where they're going on currently. And I know you've got some good projections and thoughts that we can kind of mix in there. But before we get too deep in the weeds, uh, where can everybody find you on Twitter? Where can they find your podcast? All that good stuff. So everybody can make sure to check out the good work you're doing as well. Yeah, definitely, man. Appreciate that. Um, at JR Football Nerd on Twitter and Instagram. Um, also on uh, Clubhouse as well. And, and uh, I think uh, the show, the Fantasy Sports Me app as well. So you find me on all four of those platforms. Um, also... Uh, like you said, fancy football diagnostics, or you search FFDX in the search bar of most podcasting platforms, and you'll you'll find you'll find us. Um, usually, a two man show in season. It's been a one man show in the off season, as it usually is. But co host is coming back in July, and we'll get into all the redraft stuff. And so, be ready to catch us there. Um, also, we're doing work with Gridiron Ratings, so we're, we're releasing our draft guide. So definitely want to check that out at gridironradings.com uh, and then lastly you're you're definitely going to want to know this one anthony host of the uh, also host of the now we have liftoff new york jets podcast uh, podcast all about the new york jets hosted by me and my guy frank jim piccolo so uh yeah that's all what i'm working on and you definitely find me at, at all those places and hope you uh you you, you find what you're looking for oh, i'm looking at it now i love the artwork for the now we have liftoff that's awesome Appreciate that, yeah, bro. Appreciate that, man. That looks fantastic. All right, we'll get right into it. And uh, what better spot to start than Homer Picks? We're talking New York <laughs> Jets, baby. <laughs> well, let's do it, man. I love it. But 
in dynasty startups right now, I feel like the Jets wide receivers pretty much as a whole are kind of getting lumped into like almost like last year is the best that it could ever be for this team. And I think there's real value to be had there, especially with Corey Davis and Denzel Mims. Uh, right now, and any of the ADP data I have is from Dynasty League Football from DLF, so shout out to them. But Corey Davis right now is getting drafted as the wide receiver 44 and Denzel Mims as the wide receiver 55. Uh, I, kind of ironically, Elijah Moore is going earlier than all of them. He's getting drafted like the wide receiver 43 in startups. And I like Elijah Moore a lot. He was my wide receiver five uh, out of all the rookies pre-draft. So I was obviously thrilled to see him land with the Jets. And I think long-term, the skill set fits really, really nicely with what we, I think, expect Mike LaFleur to bring over. Uh, but I think Corey Davis getting drafted like wide receiver 44 is absolute thievery. And Denzel Mims as wide receiver 55 has the chance to way out produce that. Um, Davis felt like, if he appeared in a full slate of games or even a handful or one or two more games last season, he goes over a thousand yards and think he finished at 984. Uh, and Denzel Mims, I think, is a real case of don't scout the box score because it was, you know, an Adam Gase offense, bad quarterback play, bad play calling, bad everything around him. But when he was on the field and healthy, you saw the flashes of that, you know, size, speed kind of phenom combo that he showed at Baylor. Uh, I think with somebody consistent across from him, like Davis, it wouldn't surprise me at all for Davis to eclipse a thousand yards receiving. And I think he'll lead the Jets in targets. But it also wouldn't surprise me if Denzel Mims led the team in yards and also touchdowns. Uh, so I'm curious what to have, what to see, what you have to say about both of those guys because I think both are getting drafted. Like the Jets will never be good again, and. I think both are really, really smart buys, especially that late in startups moving forward. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they're going at their floor price, right? And so, um, you don't, you never want to hate players or say, "I don't want to draft this player" or "I don't want to draft a player from this team." It all comes down to the value that you're getting said players at, right? And so, I always. And, you know, Anthony, you're going to get this analogy really well because in, as a Jets fan, you understand, you know what the Jets, the Jets tax is in, as it refers to free agency. Well, in fantasy, you also know that there's what we call a Jets discount where you can get these <laughs> <So> players. <true>. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like nobody wants them, right? So, like, you don't even have to, to overpay for them. They, they're falling below market value like Jameson Crowder with somebody you know, who was like that last year in redraft leagues. But um, you're totally right. Elijah Moore is the hot commodity right now. I mean, everyone's obviously got rookie fever, but you obviously also look at Elijah Moore as a as a prospect. You look at the draft capital that the New York Jets spent on him. You, you know, no understanding the fact that this is a player they would have taken at 23, they took at 34. So they value him very much. And you look at uh, Zach Wilson and the RPO and, and the quick game, and that's where he really excels. And Elijah Moore, I think, really fits with um, with Zach Wilson really well. So I get him going above these guys and him being, you know, the younger of the group, um, the youngest of the group. But, yeah, between Corey Davis and Denzel Mims, it really comes down – I could see it really being a coin flip, right, because both of these guys are similar receivers in terms of their body types and in terms of their play style as well. Corey Davis, obviously the seasoned vet. It really comes down to what you believe in. Is Corey Davis gonna be the target, the, you know, the the main target guy from day one, or does Denzel Mims make improvements on 
what he did in year one and, and potentially uh, in a better offense, in a better situation, does he really ex- express himself as as this alpha dog receiver, which you know a lot of Jets fans and a lot of people think Denzel Mims could be. And I'm one of those people. I think Denzel Mims can be an alpha I think so. I actually do have him leading the Jets in targets, but like I said, it could it could go either way between the two. Yeah, the interesting thing with Mims, I think, is I've seen a lot of people on Twitter specifically, which is, you know, take it with a grain of salt, I know, but a lot of people on Twitter kind of write off Mims where it's like, oh, Mims is done. They drafted Elijah Moore. They signed Corey Davis. They hate Denzel Mims. And I think it's way, way more, especially like for people like you and I who follow the team closely, it's way more an instance of, oh, we failed the last quarterback quarterback miserably. Like we surrounded him with nothing and also a bad infrastructure and head coach and play caller. Let's make sure that, you know, heaven forbid, one of these wide receivers goes down. We're not relying on the Jeff Smiths, the Vincent Smiths of the world. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. So that's kind of the same reason, too, why I think a lot of the talk about just cutting uh, Jamison Crowder post-June 1st is kind of crazy to me. I've seen a lot of yeah. people say, oh, well, the Jets can save $10 million. Well, the Jets don't need the $10 million, right? The Jets need to make sure that Who they're going to pay. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Anybody that is out there to pay, they could pay still if they wanted to. So the money doesn't really make sense to me there. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. You're paying for Davis and Mims specifically, definitely paying, I think, what the floor is. I think both – take a big leap forward because last year for the Jets was about as bad as it gets. Uh, and I joked with somebody a couple weeks or maybe even months ago. Uh, it probably was months ago because I think it was before the Darnold trade, before all of that, where I said, you know, almost anything, like even if it was Darnold running it back, like everybody still gets a bump, right? Because nothing mm-hmm. could be worse than that situation last year, like mm-hmm. where everything got – Adam Gay sucked all the good things out of anything. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious to see how this offensive situation plays out because, you know, are they going to run a lot of three per- three wide receiver sets? And if they end up running, are they going to run a lot of these two wide or these two tight end sets, right? Get to a lot of 12 personnel as we see the Shanahan offense do. And if that happens, who are the two receivers? And that's going to be really important in trying to figure out um, you know, who really leads this team in targets. Yeah, I think that's a great point because as much as we've all said, you know, Michael Floor and the Shanahan, the Shanahan, the Shanahan offense, it's like, okay, well, does this offense look like San Francisco's or more like Tennessee's or more like Green Bay's, yeah, right? So, yeah, And yeah. I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. In the like, middle. Yeah, but I think it's a good point because if it's, you know, two wide receivers and base sets, I would expect it to be Davis and Mims on the outside. Yeah which I know some people will say, oh, you know, they're the same kind of receiver, but that's all right. I'm okay with two big guys on the outside that, you know, have catch radius, can make, for even though, you know, they're kind of above the rim players, Mims, I think, provides more in yards after catch than he gets credit for. Um, But, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think I haven't finished statting out the Jets yet. I think target-wise I'll have the edge go slightly to Davis, but I think it's going to be close. Like I think it'll be, like you said earlier, about a coin flip for either of them. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and to your other point with the Mims and Corey Davis being, you know, like kind of twins on the outside, the run blocking element as well. So, but that's more for the uh, Jets fans and the Michael Carter fans. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we'll move on so we don't spend the whole show on the Jets, which I'm sure we can, but definitely could. (laughs) The next guy I wanted to bring up 
is somebody that I think is getting pushed down a little bit uh, right now because of said rookie fever that we had mentioned earlier. The Cincinnati Bengals selected Jamar Chase, and now his teammate T. Higgins is getting drafted like the wide receiver 20 in Dynasty Startups. And I absolutely love that. I really do. I'm a big T. Higgins guy and was big on him last year coming out. I don't think that drafting Jamar Chase is the end of T. Higgins the same way I don't think that drafting Elijah Moore is the end of Denzel Mims. Uh, these teams are smart enough or should be smart enough to know now to surround your young quarterback with as much talent as possible. And as great as I think Jamar Chase is, he's not going to come in and get every single target on the team, especially with the targets vacated by A.J. Green, who, as bad as he was last year, still still had a healthy target share. I think Higgins is a guy that, as a rookie, put up just under 1,000 yards, 908 yards on 67 receptions, and was targeted 108 times. And frankly, I think that goes up this year. I think he gets targeted probably, I wouldn't be shocked, 125, 120 times, something like that. I think fairly easily clears 1,000 yards if uh, Burrow is healthy for the whole season, mm-hmm. which all signs seem to be pointing to right now. Uh, but a guy who will only be 22 next year, it's not like he's old. He's a young guy, but isn't getting the same kind of bump for youth or upside that some of the other dynasty wide receivers are. And I think... A big reason is because Jamar Chase is in town now. So I guess I'm curious to hear if you think that Chase totally eats into Higgins or do you think the two can kind of coexist? Because I think Burrow will be should be good enough to support two fantasy-relevant wide receivers based on what we saw last year if he's healthy and takes that next step that we all think he will. Yeah, I mean, I think Burrow is good enough to support three when you look at when you include Tyler Boyd into yeah, the absolutely. mix as well. Um, and you look at, you know, uh, the name escapes me now. I don't know why. Zach Taylor, the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, they run a lot of the, they, you know, they come from the Shanahan tree, but they're one of the teams that are running a predominantly three wide receiver personnel. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're in three wide receiver sets, I think 60 to 70% of the time is somewhere in that, in that range. And so these wide receivers are going to be on the field and they're, it's going to be predicated on the matchups. And like, Yes, obviously, Jamar Chase, he's a good player. Him and Joe Burrow have chemistry. But they're all going to be able to coexist because there are going to be enough targets to go around. Um, you know, like you said, you have you said T. Higgins are somewhere at 120 targets. I have him, Jamar Chase, and uh, Tyler Boyd all getting over 120 targets, to be honest. And so I think, you know, this offense is going to run through those three guys. There's no really pass game weapons when you look at the Cincinnati Bengals, they don't have a tight end. Drew Sample's not really it. CJ Uzoma's coming off the Achilles injury. Uh, and then, you you know, Giovanni Bernard's no longer there. Joe Mixon obviously can fill that void. But some of those targets have to go somewhere. And, I, you know, I think, so. like you said, A.J. Green not being around, I think you can definitely have these receivers coexist. So T. Higgins, you know, I'm, I was actually down on T. Higgins before he got drafted. Um, but... As I saw him play, he was somebody that grew on me week to week. And then you obviously include Joe Burrow into the mix and the offense that they're in. And, you know, I just I, – I really am a fan of T. Higgins and, and what he could do. And if you told me him and Jamar Chase had the same stat line at the end of the year, like would we really be surprised? Yeah, I think it's a great point. And I just checked real quick. So it was 104 targets that A.J. Green had last year. So take those, you know – even if you give all those to Chase, right? Give give the whole 104 plus add in the extra game. I think there's 
a real chance, like you said, that those three guys could all easily eclipse 120 or be real. Plus, you add. Plus, you add Joe Burrow missing, you know, missing the back half of those games. You know, that, those yeah. pass attempts. He was he was one of the leaders in pass attempts before going down in the in, with the injury. So, um, yeah, I definitely think it's possible. All right. So the next guy I wanted to bring up, well, probably I'm sure people will hear it and will probably be met with more like because it's drafting an older running back in dynasty <laughs> startups, and I know it's like you know, it's not allowed, but. I think the mindset for me is in a startup draft for a dynasty league, I am typically drafting to try and win a championship as soon as possible, right? So I want to win a championship year one if possible. I totally mm-hmm. understand that there's a strategy to maybe I punt year one, trade back in the startup, accumulate rookie picks for the next year. I get it. If you want to play like the long-term strategy, build the mm-hmm. super young team, it's a legitimate strategy and it can go a variety of ways. But for me, in a startup, I want proven commodities. And I'm going to take my shots on guys that are young or rookies or anything like that. But Seattle Seahawks running back Chris Carson is getting drafted as the RB23 right now. This man is getting drafted practically like a running uh, RB3, like a running back three. Just makes it inside the top 24. Josh Jacobs, Javante Williams, David Montgomery the couple of guys that are going ahead of them at the running back position. I don't know. It feels crazy to me. It feels like we're giving up on Chris Carson or like writing him off. He'll be 27 next year. And I know 27 is now the new, like, Oh my God, Todd Gurley is the oldest 26 year old human that's ever lived. So we're all scared off of it, but I'm following the money. I'm following Pete Carroll saying that he wants to get back to running the football, even though that's a, crazy person thing to say but that's besides the point but I think he's going to get a ton of attempts I'm not worried about like Carlos Hyde's gone I'm not a Rashad Penny guy so I'm not really worried there I am a bit of a DJ Dallas truther but even still I don't think he's going to eat into the workload a ton for Chris Carson but last season even though he was only 12 games career high in yards per attempt he looked great He pretty much matched his career best in receiving output, even though it was in three less games than in 2019. So I think he's somebody that figures to still be pretty involved in the Seahawks rushing attack, especially, but also if he can maintain that, you know, get 40 to 50, maybe even, you know, 50 to 60 targets in the passing game, if he can push it from where he had 46 and 47 targets the last two years, respectively, I think there is, like not with not even a chance that he underperforms. I think that drafting him as the RB23, it's almost a lock that he outperforms that. Like I don't see any way that he doesn't finish inside the top 15, 16. Like if he's getting the same workload he's gotten in the past and sure maybe you only get two really good years of it, but everybody's looking at their rosters in two to three year windows anymore, typically. So if you're drafting to go win a championship, I'm going to try and steal Chris Carson every single time, because I think if he's your second or even if you, you're lucky enough to draft him as your third guy, like you get a couple of the real good young ones early on and then come back around with him, your roster is probably shaping up pretty nicely. Yeah. I mean, it's talking about strategies. One of the things I like to do in, in super flex uh, startups is, I kind of just fade the running back position a little bit because I can get these Chris Carson types cheaper 
Uh, and, and, you know, so I'll grab maybe a running back early and maybe get Chris Carson type as my RB2. Or sometimes if the board falls that way, I'll get Chris, I'm comfortable getting a guy like Chris Carson as my RB1 for year one because, you know, like you said, I have him as my RB14 coming into the 2021 season. I put out my rankings today. People thought that was a little high, but I'm like, Chris Carson is a guy that Seattle talks about wanting to run the football. He's got, he's, he's basically on pace for 300 carries every year. Mm -hmm. The only question is, does he make it, you know, a full schedule, but which running back do you not say that about? Right. So it's, it's already his injury cost is already baked into his price. So might as well just take it as it is right now. RB 23. That's not a bad deal. I mean, I get maybe drafting a Javante Williams over him because, you know, you could talk yourself into the story where Javante Williams becomes the guy sooner than we might we might think. And so, you know, and obviously having the younger back, I would prefer that. But Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery, I mean, you can't tell me that those guys are going to have a better 2021 season than Chris Carson. And then you can't even sell me on the fact that no matter what happens to Chris Carson, that you can't even convince me that their 2022 is going to be worth me having them on my roster. So uh, not to say that those guys are bust, but we, they have, we have questions, especially I have questions about Josh Jacobs, but specifically, but uh, when you look at Chris Carson, you could also have him for that year, win your championship and then sell him because there's going to be a running back needy team. And if Chris Carson, let's say he makes it through the 17 game schedule and goes off for 1400, 1500 rushing yards. That's an easy sell to, to a league mate who's running back needy. For sure. A hundred percent. Maybe. And I'm looking again now, maybe the most like jarring example here is Miles Sanders is getting drafted. Like the are running back 19. And that, like, there's, I can't see that. I can't see a world where I'm like, I'd rather take Miles Sanders ahead of Chris Carson. Even I, with I, the age gap. I just, I just can't do it. I don't, I don't know. It's, I, I considered myself a Miles Sanders truther and I, I still, I still do like Miles Sanders a lot. I just, there's a lot about his situation that I just don't like right now. I agree. Um, I, like I would have considered myself a bit of a Miles Sanders truther as well. And, I think that the team just continues to do things that make me think, oh, they don't like him as much as a lot of the other, the rest of us do. And I know that, you know, Kenny Gainwell fell a lot farther than people anticipated, but I have a feeling Kenny Gainwell is going to be way more involved than people are initially expecting. Like I think Kenny Gainwell siphons off a big amount of passing down work from, uh, from Miles Sanders, just because of how good he is at it. Like, I don't think Kenny Gainwell was just some, throwaway pick for for the Eagles even though it was in the fifth round yeah I mean Gainwell I think was was obviously great value and and, you know Miles Sanders is not a first round pick so there's no fifth round fifth year option on him so I think he's going into year three so you could even be a potential like you know developmental you know backup plan in case they can't sign Miles Sanders or he proves not to be the guy but yeah I definitely have my questions about Sanders you know like they, they're the fact that they're always signing these other backs that you know they <laughs> carry on Johnson now, they still have Boston Scott. Uh, I think well, that's that guy, Jason Huntley, or whatever his name is. They've got all these these running backs on their roster, and then Jalen Hurts. They don't even Philly's kind of doing this thing where they're like, Yeah, we're gonna rebuild, but we're not. Yeah, 
100%. And so that scares me there as well. And so, you know, and what does this offense look like with Jalen Hurts, right? Because if it, in my mind, and people have kind of talked me off, not talked me off of it, but talked me back off, back of it a little bit, is that in order, for, if Philly wants to be successful, you have to do what Baltimore did in 2019, right? Like sure. that's the offense that you have to kind of put in place if you want Jalen Hurts to be successful in this offense. And there's not a huge upside with mobile rushing quarterbacks and you know, they're the, the passing work that goes to the, to these receivers or these running backs. Um, and so Miles Sanders was making his money, right. A lot of his money was being made on these, you know, well, he's going to get to 20 to, to 17 to 20 touches because of these receptions, but those receptions might not be there anymore. Right. And then you enter Kenny Gainwell and Boston Scott who could also siphon these receptions. So yeah, I, I'm scared of Miles Sanders. I, so at that cost, you're right. I, I would probably have to avoid him at the RB 19. Yeah. Talking about a current eagle that we might be scared of. A former eagle that can be a little scary in his own right, but I'm buying him for the price is Indianapolis Colts quarterback Carson Wentz. And it's really cost and believing in the infrastructure around him because he's getting drafted like the quarterback 21 right now. He's somebody I found myself targeting a lot in Superflex because he hangs around solely after that initial big run with the top end elite quarterbacks uh, because there's been a couple times so far this year where I've found myself kind of go the route of like I don't want to say fade quarterback but fading like super early quarterback and super flex just because I feel good about if I can if I'm at the back end around one and the run of really really good elite guys is already gone and I can stack my court or stack my team with you know solid wide receivers and running backs, and end up with a core that I feel good about competing with right away, and land Carson Wentz as like my quarterback two, maybe three, to go with somebody better than him, like you know one of the older guys. Whether it's you're, you're going with Rodgers or Brady or some of these guys that fall a couple rounds down because of the age, but should still help you compete straight away. Um, the second part of that is I just believe that if anybody's going to get the best or get what we've seen before out of Carson Wentz, that it'll be Frank Reich. Like I think Frank Reich is a very good coach, and I think Frank Reich will do whatever he can to try and put Wentz in a position to succeed. He's got a decent set of weapons around him. We'll see it, you know, what's left with TUI and if Michael Pittman takes the next step. I'm a big Paris Campbell guy, so hopefully he can stay healthy for once in his career because I think if he can, him being on the field with Pittman and T.Y. is a nice set of options for uh, for Wentz as pass catchers to go with Naheem Hines out of the backfield and Jonathan Taylor, who is already proven to be a stud. Um, but for that cost, to get drafted outside the top 20 quarterback options, I'll take the shot. Like I'll roll the dice that Wentz can kind of rebound or rebound and find form like he had seen with Reich in the past. Yeah, so I, I definitely agree with the, you know, from a football standpoint, if there's a coach that I believe could get the best out of Carson Wentz, it is going to be Frank Reich. But from a, I guess from a fantasy perspective, I just look at if the Colts want to be successful, it's going to be going through Jonathan Taylor uh, and, and leaning on this run game. And so I don't know what the ceiling would, would really be for, for Carson Wentz. And I think that's just my concern there with him. I mean, QB 21, that's not a terrible price. Uh, you know, I, 
I guess I've just been in super flex leagues really going with that quarterback early route because last year I got myself into some trouble going with the quarterback late. Yeah. Uh, so I think I've got some PTSD there. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Carson Wentz is definitely – he's not been somebody that I've gotten my hands on. The other thing I want to consider, though, too, is that – and I thought about this. I don't know why I was thinking. I think I was just combing through my projections, and I thought about, you know, what happens if Carson Wentz – could get these rushing touchdowns, right? Because last year he had five, I believe. Um, and if you consider what the Colts were doing with, I mean, they, they were pulling Phillip Rivers off the field to put Jacoby Brissett in. And we know Carson Wentz is already that kind of, of quarterback and that kind of athlete. Uh, does he get used in, in that way around the goal line? And I think that becomes interesting. And something to really think about when you when you are thinking about Carson Wentz. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I do agree that for from a real life football perspective or through that lens, that team should run through Jonathan Taylor. I will be interested to see how the receiving work from Wentz to Taylor is impacted because we know Phil Rivers is like addicted to throwing the ball to the running back. So. I was very happy to see the passing game utilization for Jonathan Taylor last year. I'm a big Jonathan Taylor guy. And mm -hmm. um, I hope that can kind of keep up, even if it's not at the same rate that it was last year. I think Taylor has already shown he's a very, very, very good player. So I hope he still stays involved in the passing game. But it'll be uh, interesting to see how it all shakes out, especially if you know Pittman can take the next step or if – God, I really hope Paris Campbell can be on the field for more than one game. I really do. This is like the yeah. – we're getting towards the end where, like, if this – if it doesn't work this season, I'm going to have to unplant my flag. But yeah. for now, for now we ride. We still ride for Paris Campbell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, I just uh, – back to Jonathan Taylor real quick. I mean, I yeah, I'm a huge fan of him as well. I just – with the receptions, like you said, I'm that's something I'm concerned about as well, and it's something – it's a reason why I'm not – I don't have him as high as I think other people have him. I think he's people have him RB six. That's kind of where he's going in ADP. Uh, in, in dynasty ADP, is probably even much higher than that. Um, but from a uh, redraft perspective, I, I know I've got him at RB nine, and a lot of that has to do with the with the reception work. And so, you know, I, I'm hoping that we saw you know we saw a lot of those cheap screen passes. Um, which obviously we know Phillip Rivers doesn't need that to throw the ball to the running back, so that was just a design of the offense. So hopefully we see some more of that stuff because that would be really helpful, uh, just getting Jonathan Taylor that big body in, in space, you know. So, But that's it. Yeah, I, I do love me some Jonathan Taylor, though. I just pulled up my rankings real quick, my dynasty rankings, and I'll give you a take. I don't know how hot, lukewarm, maybe cold this is, but I do love Jonathan Taylor. I have him RB2. <laughs> yeah like, you know what i love I, the guy. I, I think so i know i told you off air that i don't have dynasty rankings but i i i have it's not entirely true i i uh i worked on quarterback rankings and running back rankings and i'm with you jonathan taylor is my rb2 as well uh from a dynasty perspective just because you look at the prospect that he was and then the year that he had in year one uh, i think that he's on that trajectory to being to being that guy, and then obviously Saquon had the injury, and, and so you know that, that that knocks him down a little bit as well. I had to pull this up real quick from notes from a show I did last year. It was like um, talking about last year's draft class, and I've mentioned this 
multiple times on the show before, but I can't ever let a Jonathan Taylor conversation go by where we talk about like him as a prospect or coming into the league where the notes that I had were he never ran for under 1900 yards in a season or under six and a half yards per carry. Like the dude is just <laughs> built different, it's just yeah. a different yeah. kind of man. And like the, the other note I had was, you know, people knocking him for the fumbles. He fumbled 18 times in 926 total carries. <laughs> like, absolutely bananas yeah. numbers. That's like create a player on Madden and hand him the ball 45 times a game numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then you'll get 30 carries. What was it? 30 carries, 253 yards, and four touchdowns or whatever 100%, it was. 100%. <laughs> Well, the last guy that I wanted to bring up, I had to throw a tight end in there because you know I feel like sometimes the tight ends don't get no love outside of the top guys, the Kelseys, the Wallers, the mm-hmm. the Kyle Pitts now, now that he's in the league and getting drafted awfully high already, probably as he should. But Bears tight end Cole Komet uh, is getting drafted like the tight end 12, which really could be anything from like the tight end 6 to like the tight end 20, right? Like it's kind of all the same at that point. Stack your deck however you like them, whoever you like them. But I like Komet to kind of come on and take a bit of the next step. I'm not expecting or projecting like a full-blown breakout where he, you know, has this big elite tight end one season. Um, And the value, I think, where he's getting drafted is honestly – about what I expect out of him. Like, I expect him to pretty much be a back-end tight end one. But it's more so that I think him as a player long-term still has more ceiling than tight end 12. So if I can draft him as the tight end 12 now, he's a player that I do think has in his range of outcomes to be the tight end five someday down the road, tight end five, tight end six, to take another step forward. Uh, so for him, it's still kind of looking forward to, you know, sure, if you don't have an elite option, I think you can get back in tight end one production out of him for this season. But I think moving forward, there's still that hope of him being more than that or closer to not quite that, you know, top three or four, but maybe right in that next tier where that tier break is. Yeah, definitely. Cole commit somebody that was high on last year uh, coming out. And, and, you know, I think he was just, being blocked by Jimmy Graham all last year. Uh, even when you watched them, you felt like Cole Komet was probably the better player. Uh, and he's a guy that he's 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 a capable run blocker, so that allows him to be – that gives him the opportunity to actually be on the field in the first place. And then you add what he brings as an athlete and as a weapon down the seam and in the red zone. I don't think there's any – I don't think it's out of the range of outcomes that he could be going to – all right, I don't want. I'm not. I don't want to seem hot takey or anything. But the tight end position is all a distribution of touchdowns, right? How do the touchdowns fall, and where do they go to? So, like, it's not out of the question. Cole Komet could get a top five tight end season this year, right? Sure. Like, it's 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 not out of the question. He's that talented. He was that kind of prospect. I mean, obviously, he's not Kyle Pitts, but he was that kind of prospect. And so, um, I yeah, I, I love what you're saying. Take him as a tight end twelve. Let them, you know, I use this analogy with running backs in season. Let them kind of bake in the oven and, and just, you know, see what happens at the end of the year. I, I'm usually the kind of guy I fade tight end in, in dynasty a lot anyway because I'd rather, you know, try to fill at other positions. And the it's a onesie position. And so I'm either going to have to pay really high to get a, a, a really, you know, elite tight end 
or I'm going to have to pick between all these guys that you said between 6 and 20, and it's really kind of a crapshoot. So if I can get this guy as talented as him as the tight end 12, then absolutely I'm going to pull the trigger, especially in a quarterback upgrade with Justin Fields, who, I mean, if the, if the Bears know what what's good for the man, I mean – Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace. <laughs> they got to get him get on a, the field. You did not get a second chance to leave it in Andy Dalton's hands, man. So you got to put you got to put Justin Fields out there as quickly as you can and I think that'd be a good thing for Cole Komet as well. For the love of God and for our guy Allen Robinson, can we please get Justin Fields on the field? I need Allen Robinson, Cole Komet, everybody there to be catching touchdowns. Andy Dalton doesn't do anything for them like they can't, like you said, they can't look that gift that they got right in the mouth with Justin Fields and say, ah, you know what, we'll throw Dalton out there. It's just, it's not good. They can't do it. That's how you get yourself fired. You already made the trade up for him. Go get him out there. And what are your thoughts on, uh, I just checked because I figured this is where he was going, but Kyle Pitts getting drafted as tight end three in Dynasty. Uh, how do you feel about it? Too rich or you like it? I'm I've been in some drafts where he goes to the tight end one. So, oh my like, God, man. <laughs> this is why I'm going to have zero Kyle Pitts shares. <laughs> it's, and I so love the guy. I've So I've only taken him that high in – I took him at four overall. I traded up to get him at four overall in a single quarterback league. And I got him at, a t- at I think, three overall in a t- tight end premium. So – those are the only two places I've been able to get Kyle Pitts. And, you know, it's – he's definitely a good player. Uh, he's definitely – obviously, he's a phenomenal a phenomenal talent. Uh, so, I don't think it's out of the question. We're just paying for this thing that we haven't seen, right? And it's it's funny because my brother, he and I are in a league together, and he calls me the other day, and he's send, he's he's offering me like two ones – two future ones for Kyle Pitts. And I'm like, if you're willing to pay this much and he hasn't even played yet, I'm just, I'm just going (laughs) to wait, you know? So you're kind of just, you're, I've heard it said that the, the value will never be this high with Kyle Pitts, but I'm also under the, like, it'd probably never be this low. Yeah. Honestly, (laughs) it's crazy. Did you already project Pitts out? Yes, I did project Pitts out. He's my tight end. I think he's like five or six. I think I moved. Him. I think I bumped TJ Hawk up yesterday, but he's my tight end six. Um, I mean, if you look at Austin Hooper, you look at even Hayden Hurst last year. So Hayden Hurst, I think, had sixty or seventy targets somewhere somewhere along those lines, and then Austin Hooper had like three straight eighty target seasons playing with the Atlanta Falcons, and so. When you consider that opportunity there, that's basic. That should basically just be handed to him. Um, you know, he's the fourth pick in the draft. I don't see why he, it shouldn't be handed to him. Uh, and then you bake in the possibility of Julio Jones being shipped out and those potential targets being available. I really think you're getting Kyle Pitts at the cheapest that he'll be. Yeah, I just checked because I did finish Atlanta, and this was assuming Julio on the team. I projected him for 91 targets with Julio on the team. Yeah, so, I have him for like, nine, 98. Yeah, so. So, and that was, you know, projecting Julio for 130 targets or whatever like yep, that. So yep. if Julio 
not even if Julio, when Julio is traded. Um, yeah, there's just even more, more for more of the pie for Pitts to take. I mean, he could he could really. I mean, I'm assuming we probably have in the same range of target share. I got him at 16. percent I've still got Julio sitting here with about 22. percent If you take Julio off this team, Kyle Pitts has to end up with a 20 percent target. Has share. to. Has to because yes, you're right. I have almost about the same. I had Kyle Pitts for 15 percent and Julio for 21, and that was giving 25 to Calvin Ridley, who yeah, I think is a yeah. monster. But yeah. yeah, I mean, if with Julio gone, there's no way that Pitts isn't getting 20 percent of the targets. No. Like no way. It's no. crazy. And like as I was putting it in initially, I'm like, this feels rich. Like, no way. But like he could really have a thousand yards. He really could. It's insane, <laughs> but he really could. <laughs> I'm here for it though. It will Yo, it'll absolutely. Be, I'm here for all the trades next offseason of Kyle Pitts getting traded for five first rounders. All this <laughs> craziness. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, my brother called me. I said, hey, if you're willing to give me this now, I'm just gonna wait till he plays. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> And you got to be willing to listen. I was reading through trades that people posted on Twitter and on Reddit when I was doing one of the last episodes of the podcast. And some guy said, I traded Justin Jefferson for five ones. And I was like, oh, well, that's why you never say a player is untradeable. Because someday <laughs> somebody will come along and be like, I'll give you five firsts for him. And that's why you always got to listen. Like, <laughs> I got to wonder, like, did they did they start out with three ones and then they countered with four? Like, like how did you or get was to five? just right from the jump? Like, listen, <laughs> the next five years, you can have it. <laughs> like, like, do you get extra points if the guy's name is Justin? Like, I'm just, I'm just trying to understand. Crazy. <laughs> absolutely crazy oh man uh john well i appreciate you joining me man and this was good i uh i love having you on i think it was great so for uh anybody that either didn't catch it at the beginning one more time where can they find you on twitter and catch your podcast anthony man this was this was great had a lot of fun man and and absolutely would love to do it again anytime brother just just hit give me a buzz man and i'm there but at jr football nerd on twitter and instagram uh, FFDX is the podcast. You could find it, you know, the fantasy football diagnostics. You could find that on most social media platforms, as well as the now we have liftoff New York Jets podcast, which you could find on most social media platforms as well, or podcast platforms for for both of those podcasts because they're not social media websites. (laughs) I love it, man. We'll definitely have you back on and I'd love to come on and talk jets with you someday on your show as well. Oh, definitely brother. You know, that's going to happen. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you. You too, brother. Later. Thanks again to John for taking the time to join the podcast and talk about some of the guys that I've been targeting in startup drafts with me and give his input on them. Always a good conversation to have with somebody, especially if there's some differing viewpoints or uh, if they share the same viewpoints as you, always good to get somebody else's feedback. So again, if you're not following John already, check him out on Twitter at JR football nerd, uh, check out his podcast. Again, that's fantasy football diagnostics and you can follow them on Twitter at FF diagnostics. Other than that, we've got some more great stuff lined up through the rest of summer. Some really awesome guests uh, that we'll announce coming shortly. And, of course, getting into each division a little bit more in depth, the same way I did last summer as well. So that stuff will all be coming within the next couple weeks and months. Uh, But I appreciate everybody checking out the podcast, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks, guys. (laughs) 